Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest is Charles Frawney. He wrote a book called Slaying Dragons. It just happened to be a book when I was looking on the well, looking on Amazon, actually, trying to find some books to read as we're all you know, stuck in our houses for a lot more time than we'd like to be. Uh, ordered this book, came in. I was telling uh, Charles that my wife stole it the minute it came in, read the book and said, this is fantastic. You need to read this. And I said, well, that's kind of why I bought it. And uh, ended up reading the book halfway through. I thought, I need to reach out to Charles and see if he'll come on and do an interview. So Charles, first of all, thanks for writing the book, and and thanks again for uh, coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Deacon, and uh, it was my pleasure. And as I mentioned in the, the pre-show talk, uh, this book um, changed my life quite a bit too in the writing process. So, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself? I know you do in the book. You know, in the beginning, you know, talk about you know some depression you picked on as a kid and just some different things. But how did that lead you? in your life, get you to where you are, and then eventually end up writing this book? Yeah, um, I think uh, down the road I'll probably write a book about my life. I've pulled together a lot of notes in the past couple of years, but it was not um, not a boring life. I think most people don't have a boring life, but I was kind of um, an introvert. I think I'm a, still an introvert now, but when I was a kid, very introspective. And I had... Um, I think it's in the book. It might be in a different book that I wrote. I had big ears when I was a kid. And this became the defining characteristic of my life when I was uh, five years old. That's when I realized. And the teasing began. Yep. And it never really stopped until I was uh, a junior in high school. And it wasn't, you know, perpetual teasing, but it was enough. And the way I reacted to it was really important. I really internalized it and took it to heart and like, identified with all these, these the teasing. Like, I thought that's who I was. So it really began to, to crush crush my spirit, and I did not have a deep faith life. I was brought up Catholic and had great parents, but the, the faith was not very strong, so I didn't have a good prayer life, didn't know about the sacraments, sacramentals. So I had no no healing process or no, like, I couldn't go to our Lord. I could have, but I didn't know to. Right. Um, to realize, you know, who I really am, and these bullies are, you know, just ignore them, and so that led me eventually after high school, at the very end of high school, early college, into um, a deep depression. It was, I think, a major depression and a crippling anxiety disorder, like those two components. And I dropped out of college and on a medical withdrawal because it was, it was just devastating. I couldn't even leave my apartment. The anxiety was so intense. And when I had graduated from high school, you know, I was going to Mass at home during high school and middle school, but... Um, as my brother reminded me a few years ago, and he said, you hated going to Mass. Like, I couldn't stand going to Mass at all. I did everything I could to get out of going to Mass when I was in high school. And when I graduated, I left the church completely, never looked back, didn't miss it at all, because um, I had, had never really received anything you know, that I tangibly... Our Lord was planting all these seeds along the way, though, which I realized later. He was reaching out to me, even though I had essentially shut the door. So... At the worst part of the Depression, when I dropped out of college, and I really had nothing nothing left to live for and really no motivation to live, but I was, thankfully, I was a bit of a coward, so suicide was not something that I had the, the drive to do, though I was that depressed that I was thinking about it a lot. 
right in the middle of that, God reached out to me in in really miraculous ways and converted me. Like a sudden, massive, life-changing conversion. It took about a year to really bear full fruit. There was a lot of immediate fruit, small miracles. My life began to change immediately. I wanted to be a priest, like within two weeks of the conversion. And I didn't even know what a priest was, but I, I wanted to be a priest because I wanted to, to do the biggest thing I could think of in response to this grace that our Lord had given me, and priesthood was the only thing I could think of. Um, but it took about a year and a half before I went back to confession, before I knew to go back to confession, and then and go to adoration, daily mass, about a year and a half after my conversion. This was 2001. At that point, everything started to change drastically as soon as I tapped into confession. And that relates to the book a lot, because confession is a, a key sacrament. But I had all these dreams. I had some, some dreams where the devil was um, was presented to me in the dream. i can still not exactly sure what was going on, but I had dreams of our Lord, of a different apostle. St. Francis was a huge saint in my life. And that's when I really began to realize there was something bigger than just the depression. I still didn't understand it at that point, but I knew the devil was involved, spiritual warfare, St. Michael. I started to be taught these things. But except for a few good priest mentors, because I did head towards the priesthood for like the next nine years, I considered the priesthood, eventually ended up in seminary. I left uh, December 2008 because I discerned that that's not what he wanted me to do. Right. So along the way, I heard some spiritual warfare teachings, but not very many. Like I said, I had some good priest friends who did teach me some things, but I didn't fully understand them because it was foreign to me, so I I did the best I could. Um, But I did have the sense along the way that I would maybe want to be an exorcist if I became a priest. And I told that to a friend of mine, he is now a priest, and he cautioned me about being too curious or too interested in that, because it's, it's serious stuff. And I'm glad he told me that because I took it to heart and kind of cooled down my zeal about about getting into exorcism ministry. Of course, I wasn't—I was barely a seminarian at that point. Um, but one of the reasons I was thinking about it was, is because when I was in middle school, as everybody is at some point nowadays, I was introduced to some some occult things—not uh, the Charlie Charlie game, but something similar. Uh, I think the Ouija board was introduced and. Uh, and I dabbled a little bit in those things, and I think it was a response to the bullying, like because in the occult there's this promise of power yep. that you can tap into. Yep. Yeah, and that's what I, I think I was craving, and but I was scared of it too at the same time. So I I think I don't know if I exactly what I did, but I I I think I got a little bit too far when it came to dabbling in occult things, and that haunted me for almost a decade. Some of the things that I the fear that came immediately after dabbling well it's you know it's and funny you t- it's funny you talk about that because we interviewed we did a three-part interview i don't know if you've heard of therese Pacola, who went through a, a major exorcism it was an article in the uh, catholic register and and that's kind of you know she had a rough life different than yours but ended up getting into the occult and it ended up going through months and months of exorcisms uh, to be able to get the the demons out. So, you know, I think your point's well taken. You know, you didn't get to that point, but, you know, when you dabble and open these portals for the evil one to come in, you're asking for trouble. And so, you know, you kind of got that. You, and so you end up writing this book, 
on basically, you know, the devil and how he operates. But I think, you know, an interesting thing that you did was you ended up interviewing like, I don't know, it was four or five or however many exorcists. And it's kind of like all their notes kind of came together. And there's there's really a lot of common themes in this book, aren't there? Yeah, and that's one of the things, I think I put it in the, the preface, um, that all the exorcists were saying the same things. Of course, it was, you know, I didn't sit down. I, I got to know some some exorcists, but they're not, the ones I interviewed in the book were mainly from online, you know, conferences, books, articles, um, talks they gave that, that you could find and watch the videos. So I didn't get to sit down and personally interview um, the ones that are in the book. But pulling together all the notes that I that I took, like that was one of the things that began to pop and really, really add credibility to this whole thing. That they're all seeing in different parts of the world, like all over the world, all over the United States, they're all seeing the same thing. Demons are acting the same way. People are getting into trouble in the same way. And people are being healed and being pulled out of possession and obsession and oppression in the same way. And then the more study I did, the more, you know, because I was in seminary, as I mentioned, for a little while, and I've gotten to know priests up and down the East Coast, more of them than I realized are actually trained in exorcism ministry and spiritual warfare things. So once I once they realized I was doing this research, I got, did get to talk to them. I didn't pull their their things into the book, uh, just because it was, it was already almost finished. But um, a lot of priests now are really waking up. Um, to this warfare and that they can really do something about it that exorcism ministry one of the things i mentioned is like fear like we we should not fear the devil at all and actually if we do fear the devil he's winning at that point yeah father father morth is very clear on that i put his quote in the book um that's one thing a priest told me a priest friend of mine said the more he went to these exorcism conferences the more he realized that he should have absolutely zero fear of the devil. Well, and, and you that, know, I think, the- yeah, and I think, you know, you know, because you even talk about that in your book, and it's a point I want to bring up uh, right after I talk, because the purpose of the book, you write right on the back that I thought was really helpful. The purpose of this book is to help enlighten Catholics to the spiritual warfare in which we all find ourselves. Not only is this a real battle, but the Church knows it well and has provided both wisdom and weapons, teachings and sacramentals, to enable Catholics to fight in this battle into which they have all been drafted and be victorious. I So, you know, one, you shouldn't be afraid of him, but two, you can't deny his existence because then he can operate without anybody worrying, right? Right, yeah. Um, so it's, it's like a fine line. People, we, we, we can't... Uh, well, it's hard to grab all these thoughts together. It's such a rich thing, but yeah. um, one of the things I've been doing recently is studying the Roman ritual, the traditional book of sacraments, sacramentals, blessings, all those things. I've begun to realize that all of the traditional rites of prayer in our Church all have some element of spiritual battle built inside of them. Like even the blessing of salt, candles, oil, all the things that are recommended in the book, they all have, like, these sacramentals are to be used to repel the devil. Like, the devil is really after us. Yep. So one of the things we've been doing nowadays is, is wanting to not talk about him. You know, pretend he's not there and he won't bother us. But that's dangerous, because you pretend he's not there and he, then he can sneak up on you, because he does it, to, you know, 
surreptitiously he's he's like a snake he just kind of slithers in the shadows and then all of a sudden he's He's right next to you, and that's your fault because you let him sneak up on you. Well, and not only that, I think you did a real good job in the book of explaining, and you know, from The Exorcist, how smart the devil is. Right? I mean, he's not some knucklehead. I mean, he's infinitely smarter than we are. So to ignore him and ignore his intelligence really is to our own detriment. Right. Yeah. Chapter two is all about like what angels are, because demons are fallen angels. So when mm-hmm. you understand the nature of an angel, you understand the nature of this evil creature that is is, is dead set, hell-bent, literally, on your destruction, has no other concern in his life but of staying away from God himself and then tearing you away from God, too. So, yeah, we have, we, that's why, like, one of the things we'll get into, I'm sure, or that's in the book, is the rise of the occult, the rise of, like, uh, numbers are up for oppression, um, obsession, possession, all throughout the world. And it's because people are not utilizing the weapons. We, we have to constantly fortify ourselves because we're weak. <laughs> you know? And if we think, oh, you know, I got this, I, you know, I see God on Sunday, you know, I'm not doing anything bad, I'll be okay. Well, you're in the devil's hand then because you have to repel him or he will find a way into your life. Like you said, he's, he's extremely smart and powerful and crafty, and our Lord has given him certain permissions. And that's that's a part of the world we live in. We might not like the fact that our Lord permits the demons to act, but he does. And it's because he doesn't want us to simply skate by in life and maybe get into purgatory. He wants us to be like him, and therefore we must be tested and purified, and he uses demons to do that. Well, and you made a very good point, uh, point in your book that I thought was was helpful, and that a lot of people, you know, sometimes it's easy to forget that evil can only act by the Lord allowing it, right? I mean, he could just totally shut the devil out, but he allows that for a purpose of hopefully allowing us to grow closer to him. And I think your other point was, look, if we're not growing in our faith, we're dying in our faith. And so we can't just say, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, this is great, I say, you know, a prayer before my meal, and I just move on. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you or I go into our wives and say, you know what, I think our relationship is good just just the way it is. We don't need to grow it anymore. It would deteriorate if you didn't keep growing in your relationships. Right, right. It's got to... There's no limit to the potential of our relationship with Christ, because he's infinite. He's the infinite good. So we can constantly go deeper. And even with, like like you mentioned, spouses, um, either we are very complex. Not We're not infinite creatures. We're finite. But we're so complex that you can never fully, um, fully know another person. So even in marriage, you need to continue to nurture it and nurture it, but even more so in your relationship with Christ. I mean, it's, it's never-ending. That's why the saints uh, became ho- so holy, because their craving for God would only get stronger, because he, the more you come to know him, the more you know how intensely good he is. Um, you raised a point, which um, I can't the exact thing you said, but when I was, way before I did the research, that's probably seven years ago, and I started the research about two years ago for this book, I had this dream, and one, this is one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me since my conversion, is occasional really profound dreams. But in this one, uh, I had a dream that the devil was essentially, literally, in my in my bathroom, I think it was. And I woke up, and I'm pretty sure my wife told me that she had the exact same dream. But when I woke up, it felt 
so real that the devil was literally residing in my bathroom. But my reaction is what really scared me. My reaction was, I need to be really careful and not try to be super holy so the devil will leave me alone. (laughs) The exact opposite, right? (laughs) As soon as I had the thought, I'm like, wow, that was a very dangerous thought that I just had. Yeah. But it was it was a gut reaction, and then I had to really, maybe that was one of the beginnings of God pointing me towards this research, because I was not where I needed to be. That was just seven years ago, and I had a master's in theology already. Well, he doesn't He doesn't mind going after anybody. I guess that's the point, right? And so we need to be vigilant. We need to grow in our faith. And he, you know, I think you, you, the other thing I really liked about the book, it, it it brought up, you know, what's going on currently today and you know how does the demon possess people the reason right you wrote in the book is to cause suffering but you also talk about some of the portals the devil uses to enter into our lives and the three ways one can be possessed and even go into celebrities that have basically sold their souls for success and these would be people that people have heard of so i mean it is real out there but can you talk a little bit about you know the ways one can be possessed Sure. Uh, the first thing which needs to be remembered, because it's so prevalent, is mortal sin. That's the key. When we So they're venial and mortal sin, venial sins. Uh, we commit them, you know, every day. It's hard for any of us to be perfect. And those wound our relationship with Christ, but don't sever it. But mortal sins break. They, they break our relationship with Christ. They kill the life of grace in the soul. So when we are in a state of mortal sin, it's a state. We have to be placed back into a state of grace. Otherwise, we are vulnerable in a state of sin. We're cut off from his protection. Because one of the keys for mortal sin is you do it deliberately, knowing that it's a mortal sin. So you push him away. And when you push him away, it's an act of pride. And that's why the devil fell, for one thing. But it's also in the system God created, we are now vulnerable because he can't protect us because we said no to him, and the demons can come after us. And that's where obsession um, oppression and possession can begin living in a life of mortal sin. And one of the dangerous things nowadays is so many people live a, live in mortal sin because uh, the exorcists talk about pornography and mm-hmm. the statistics are just intense. When I see them, I'm just shocked. It's like in the mid to high 90s, I think, for kids, even adults that regularly look at pornography and and intentionally looking at pornography is a mortal sin. And so, and plus, there is satanic uh, involvement in pornography as some of these exorcists. Well, and just to and just to that point, you know, it's funny. I was just reading today actually that the use of pornography, if it's even possible, has skyrocketed during the stay-at-home orders because the they're, they're like Pornhub and places like that are pushing this and offering it for free to get more people addicted to this. Yeah, I saw that this morning, and it's, it's just uh, it's disgusting. But it, it shows you what the culture is. You know, it's, it's so sad. Like We're just sitting ducks for our own, the monster we have created for ourselves. Um, well, yeah, so mortal sin and then um, another one is when when some evil happens to a person, it can cause a wound. So a lot of, like I think Father Gary Thomas, I think he's the one that mentioned 80% of the people that come to him have suffered some kind of abuse. Yep, that's life. right. I, re- I remember reading that, yep. 
And that's just so shocking. It's, it's sad because sometimes this happens to somebody, but that... Yeah, they're a victim. That that person, yeah, the, it's, yeah, the victimization makes you um, vulnerable. It doesn't cause the possession, but it makes you so wounded that if you don't seek healing from our Lord, the devil can exploit the wound. And that's the big thing. And if we live in a secular culture all throughout the world, which is what we are, we've pushed God away universally, people are not going to have this immediate reaction, oh, I need to seek God's help in the healing of the church and um, and uh, do spiritual exercises to regain, you know, my hope and, and stability. People are going to go after, um, go to the occult, go to um, mediums and, and whatnot, especially in Italy, it's much worse than in Europe. And that's, that is a sure way at that point if you deliberately go and have recourse to the occult to get possessed. Those are, there is no power outside of God. It's diabolical at that point. So the, the psychic may know something, but it's because a demon has told her or she's lying. Um, but if, if they actually know something that they're not supposed to know, it's because a demon is involved. And at that point, everybody is, is vulnerable to possession to possession or oppression or one of the um, extraordinary influences. Yeah, and I think, you know, you brought out a really good point. You know, it's one of the questions people ask. How do exorcists know what they know? But, I mean, they're talking to these demons, right? I mean, the demons are, are talking to them and letting them know why they're there, why they were kicked out of heaven, you know, what was their sin. I mean, so we know stuff that, you know, can only help us if we actually use it to to fortify ourselves. Correct. Yeah, um, that's why. That's why with the sacramentals like holy water, blessed salt, blessed oil, all those things, the the priests when they interact with these demons, which is the key thing they're doing in the exorcism, they're learning things because they they are required to obtain the name, obtain the name of the demon, how the demon got in, what the sin was, and certain things about the demon's fall, the weaknesses of the demon, what's motivating them, because the priest then uses that against the demon, but often. They apply relics to the possessed person, and they see reactions. They sprinkle with holy water, bless salt, bless candles. They see manifesting before them the power of the sacramentals. So then when an exorcist tells us, hey, you guys really need to make sure you use blessed salt in your house and have blessed candles, we should immediately find a priest, get it blessed, and get it in our home, because there's a reason that they're saying that, because they've seen it. Yeah, over and over again, and I think to your point that you mentioned earlier, it's happening all over the world. This isn't just, well, you know, it's happening in this state or in the United States. I mean, the devil roams freely, and, you know, it's funny, you know, you, you know, it mentioned, I think you mentioned in the book, you know, the devils are even mentioned in the Bible. I went back and read Tobit over the weekend, and they talk about the devil, you know, with Tobiah and Sarah, and it was it's it really should be eye-opening to people that this not only is going all over the world, but it's been going on ever since the initial fall. So we need to be aware of it. We need to understand it. Before I forget, because I already have once, how can people, where can people find this book? How can people follow what you're doing? Because I would recommend everybody get this book. Yeah, so... Um it's on, it's self-published, and so interviews like this are great because all the marketing's up to me, so word of mouth is, is the key. But you can find it on Amazon. It's, uh, there's an ebook and a print book. And then I have a website, theslayingdragonsbook.com. So it's theslayingdragonsbook.com. 
if you go there and I publish articles that I write at least once a week, sometimes more, depending on what's going on. And then um, I also have a, um, a website, theretreatbox.com. That's the first thing we started, and it's kind of been a quiet project, but it's our home base kind of on the Internet. And you can buy it directly from us, but it's on Amazon, too, and that's, that's easier for a lot of people. And um, I did write a spiritual warfare book for teenagers and young adults, like probably from 15, age 15 to 25. Yeah. And you can find that on my website, too. It's uh, Swords and Shadows. Well, I think, you know, one, bringing it to people's attention is great, but they then they need to do something about it, growing in your faith, part, you know, using sacramentals, as you mentioned. Because one of the things that really shocked me in this book was, and you meant, touched on it earlier, and we're down to, I can't believe, the last couple minutes, but you talk about the rise of diabolical, uh, diabolical oppression, obsession related to witchcraft. Father Ripperger estimates that 25% of the country uh, is diabolically possessed, and the fact that there are more witches in this country, or at least as many, as there are Presbyterians. Yeah, that last one was uh, was quite shocking. And the 25% is diabolically obsessed. Obsessed, okay, excuse me, yeah. Yeah, um, which I think, along the way of doing the research, like I was, you know, the depression, anxiety, the dabbling in the occult when I was a kid, I, I'm pretty sure I picked up what I like to call some kind of diabolical tag-along that I was able to, by the grace of God and the use of the sacramentals, to drive away about a year ago. And I like a whole new spiritual, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, it, was, it was a sure grace from God that I got as a result of writing this book and using the sacramentals. Well, I think, you know, writing this book is, and has helped you, but I think reading this book is going to help people, especially if it kind of wakes them up to what's going on out there, how often it's going on out there, and to who it's going on. I mean, when you mention celebrities and some of the things that they've done, and when people are going to read this and recognize their name, they're going to think, oh my gosh. I mean, I think it is really an eye-opening book, and, you know, how has it been received? Um, overall, like if you look at the Amazon reviews, it's, uh, that's why I got it. It's like five stars. <laughs> yeah. And the, the people have left comments on there. Like it's, it's, it's like people keep saying it's a must read. It's changed. It's changed their lives in similar ways that it's changed mine. Like when I go to local, local areas, as a, um, as a vendor, people are like, Oh yeah, I bought the book the other week. That's a great book. And like, it really is. People's reaction to the book is the same reaction that I had to the material and the reason why I wrote it. So it's, it's, it's great to see. It's very well received.